Welcome to the official podcast where the bombs get thrown. I'm your host, May Shayla Bogan, and I introduce to you the Mike Bomb Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to the Mike Bomb Podcast with your host, May Shayla, kicking it at you on this beautiful Thursday. I am joined off the top of this hour by Dave King from Sports Illustrated. He is the Phoenix Suns sports writer, cover, beat reporter. So now it's time to get started, David. Um, I have you on this show because there's a lot of questions I have about the Phoenix Suns as they pretty much collapsed. And the semi-conference finals, I would like to call it, when they played the Dallas Mavericks and they lost, I believe it was 4-2, 123-90, and I believe it was a game six, game seven of the series, where they, you yeah, know, the yeah, at home. yeah, at home, they collapsed. Um, what happened during that game? Like, where was the energy? We don't know what happened out there. It just is one of those bad days, and it was the worst day it could possibly be a bad day. And then we haven't hardly talked to him since. Uh, Mikhail Bridges, one of the small forward on the team, has said since a couple of times on random interviews that he uh, he's embarrassed by how they finished the season, how they played that final game. He would be mad if he was a Suns fan, and he wants people to know that they're mad at how bad they played. There are rumors uh, that these are all unconfirmed, but there's rumors that there was a COVID outbreak. There's rumors that there was dis, dis, uh, discontent between the coach and, and DeAndre Aiden, the starting center. There's lots of rumors. Chris Paul might have been nursing an injury, but he's always nursing injuries. But there's no explanation for how bad that game went. And uh, the Suns will never be able to live it down, I don't think. Yeah, um, losing, you know, by 33 at home to the point where it was so bad that, you know, your big three, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and Jay Crowder combined averaged less points than Luka Donick himself. And Luka Donick before yeah, halftime. Paul didn't even make a shot until they were down by 40. Yeah, yeah. No. It was disappointing. It was upsetting. Um, you know, you do have to give the Mavs credit, though, for sticking around and, you know, cap- you know, pretty much capitalizing on that. But what do you do if you're Chris Paul and Devin Booker and Jay Crowder, who was clearly favored not only because of their experience, but because they're the home team? Yeah, absolutely. Home teams are supposed to win those games. Home teams are supposed to have the most energy. They've got the fans behind them. But these Suns, they played so bad even out of the gate that the home crowd couldn't even help. I mean, actually, Mikel Bridges, in that interview he did with J.J. Reddick, he said, man, it was, it was so bad that we could hear the crowd just sighing every time we missed a shot. Oh, oh, oh. And that made it even worse. Because they couldn't get a shot to fall, and uh, it just compounded. But this is a team that was supposed to be strong-minded. They had pushed their way all the way to the finals the year before, almost the exact same team. Mm-hmm. Had one series that they weren't necessarily supposed to win a year ago, and then they closed out the Pelicans when the Pelicans had weird matchup issues with them that made the Pelicans more difficult to beat than they should have been. But then it's laid down against the Mavericks, and nobody understands how that happened. And uh, to this day, we, we, we don't really agree with any of the reasons other than they just failed to show up. Yeah, it disappointing, you know. It's, I'm not going to lie to you here. I picked the Mavs to win, but I was afraid of Game 7 for them, for Game 7 going into Phoenix, because it did not look well in their favor. 
you know, not having a big man, obviously Dre Crowder being the Suns' big man, then you have a great shooter like Devin Booker, then you have the experience and the elite playing of Chris Paul, and then just to lose by 33, it's just, wow, it's just, it's just no words for it pretty much, and the fact that you had at least a few, that's a great sign right there. But we're going to move on to the next question because what do you do from here if you're them? Well, uh, Chris Paul is 37 now. So if you're going to win a championship with Chris Paul as one of your highest paid players, you need to do it in the next year or two at the most, which means the Suns need to keep the contender together, come back next year, trying to be one of the top five teams. That means they can't be giving away DeAndre Ayton, their youngest, most talented uh, young player, um, at, at center. By just giving him away, they need to find a way to either keep DeAndre Ayton or uh, trade him in, in a series of moves or a single move, whatever it takes, to become even better next year. How the Suns do it, I have no idea. Uh, but they certainly have to come in next year fighting for a championship. This is not the time to fall back into the past because Chris Paul was in his final year or two of effectiveness in the NBA. He was all NBA the past two years for the Suns. He's only got one more shot at this. The Suns have to be contenders. Um, yeah, agree, agree, 110%, you know. I think so far you pretty much telling it like it is, which is, you know, your job, but... <laughs> You know, all right. Yeah, they don't have a choice, man. They can't just fall back in the pack. They can't say we'll get them in a year or two or a couple of years. The Suns have to, they have to spend this summer building the best team possible, and it needs to be better than last year's team. And they still, even, even no matter what they do, they're going to go through all the next year with the questions of, yes, but will they lay down in the playoffs? Will they fall apart like they did against the Mavericks? So the Suns have a long time to be able to outlive uh, this, this game seven uh, fall, you know, fall down, basically late down that they had. And it's going to be a tough year for them, and they've got to do it as a contender or the whole thing could just fall apart. Yeah. Um, they're, unfortunately, because of the, the way this series pretty much fell to the, to the Dallas Mavericks in game seven, you you know, you can possibly, this is a great possibility. You could rule the Suns out, but I don't think that's a wise move due to them all possibly being back next year. So speaking of this upcoming season that's going to be starting sooner rather than later, um, how can they bounce back this upcoming season from this dreadful loss at home? Well, like I said, they're going to have to try to put it behind them. They're going to have to... Um as they put Monty Williams said, we, we accepted all the praise for the past two years. We need to accept all the blame now mm-hmm. and grow from it and get better from it. They've just, they're just going to have to, the team around Chris Paul and Devin Booker has to be better than the past year. So how can they do that? Uh, well, you know, uh, there's, there's a small chance, tiny small chance, that Kevin Durant's going to be tired of being in in Brooklyn when they can't put a team around him. He just got swept in the first round. Kevin Durant got swept in the first round because of the team that Brooklyn put around him this past year, even with Kyrie Irving playing every game. So uh, maybe Kevin Durant wants to move on. Maybe LeBron James wants out of L.A. Maybe some other really good players, Damian Lillard, it looks like Portland's trying to build around him. But there's, there might be some really, really great player who does the Chris Paul thing and says, I want to go play with Devin Booker in Phoenix. I want to go play in Phoenix and make them an even better team. If that happens, the Suns can have a really great year next year. If it doesn't, they're going to have to mix and match and figure out how to be a more more, uh, dangerous team when it comes to playoff time. But I I would expect if they don't get a top-10 player back, in some kind of trade this summer, like we did Chris Paul a couple of years ago, then they're going to be fighting an uphill climb to be a contender next year. Yeah, because the Western Conference is going to be, you know, it's going to be real tough because you got the defending NBA Finals champions and the Golden State Warriors. Then you have, you know, the Lakers who's torn between either getting Westbrook or 
Kyrie heading, you know, into the season with LeBron and AD, but obviously questions around them with a new head coach, new assistant who on paper looks good. And then, you know, obviously AD's health, but then you got to think about the rest of the conference. You got to think about the Mavericks, you know, you got to think about a lot of these Mm -hmm. other teams. How can the what does the Suns have to do to stack up against these teams heading into this season? And then you can't forget about the LA Clippers. Well, yeah. So the Clippers are going to get Kawhi Leonard back uh, healthy, supposedly, and Paul George back healthy, supposedly. But those guys haven't been healthy. And even when they were in 2020, when they were healthy, they still lost to Denver, I believe. Yeah, it was Denver in the playoffs two years ago in the bubble. So uh, you, you've got teams that are stacked. Look, I, I'm a skeptic of some of these West teams that other people are not necessarily skeptic about. I don't think the Lakers are going to be contenders again. I don't. Uh, the Clippers, like I said, two years ago when they were healthy, they still lost in the playoffs. Uh, the Warriors, they're just they're arguing over. Yeah, they, they kind of gave us a glimpse of the old days in these finals this past uh, this past month, but. I mean, Steph is mid-30s now. Draymond Green is mid-30s now. Clay Thompson is early 30s, and he's coming up two major injuries. I don't know that the, that the Warriors are, are as, as strong next year as they ended up being in the playoffs this year. So, look, in Denver, they're hoping to get Jamal Murray back and be a contender. Well, with Jamal Murray healthy, they weren't necessarily a contender uh, two years ago either. So, the Suns still have a chance to push through this West just like they did the past year, and be a contender again. It's just going to be harder for them because there's going to be a lot more questions. This past year, they had the joy of coming off the NBA Finals in their first playoff trip. This next year, they are going to have the misery of coming off a collapse in the playoffs that they have to, that they have to answer questions to all the time. That can be mentally draining on them. So... Um, I don't know that the West is going to be that much better next year than it is this year. Things happen every year. The West was supposed to be a juggernaut this past year and the year before and the year before. Things break differently every year. Things are going to have to break well for the Suns. Yeah. Um, agree. 110% agree. You know, it. thank you for joining us for this, you know, for joining me for this part of the podcast. So we're just going to wrap it up with two more questions. Um, the NBA draft is tonight. I believe it starts at 8 p.m., 9 p.m. Eastern time, if I'm not mistaken. With that being said, obviously the Phoenix Suns need to be the team that needs to be in position to win now. But you also got to look a little more forward into your future. As you said, Chris Paul's getting up there in age. You need to find, you know, a successor for him to be able to play well with Devin Booker. Jay Crowder is obviously up in the air. He didn't have the best performance in the playoffs, especially in Game 7 against the Mavericks, where they did lose by 33. What positions, what position or positions should the Phoenix Suns look at the most in this upcoming draft tonight? Yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting because James Jones, the general manager of the Suns, he went to seven straight finals at the end of his career as a teammate of LeBron James. Of course, it wasn't James Jones that got him to the finals. It was LeBron James. James Jones was at the end of the bench. But he knows how to build a team. And that team does not rely on draft picks to win games. So James Jones has a very low opinion of the draft right now because the Phoenix Suns have such a good team. And... Devin Booker, Mikel Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, guys like that are all still young anyway. Cam Johnson are all still young anyway. I don't think the Suns are going to do a bit as much in the draft in this in this draft tonight. They do draft a player. It's going to be some weird guy. No one's ever heard of him, and they'll put him in some league, and he might make the rotation next year. You've got to fill out the end of your bench. But I don't see the Suns relying on draft picks to try to win games next year because they want to be contenders. And draft picks do not win you titles. It's your, it's your best players that win your titles, and everyone else needs to be a veteran. So what position should they improve on in the free agency and trades? Um, needs to be over Jay Crowder. You've got to improve over Jay Crowder. He was bad this past year. Uh, and uh, the Suns need a little bit more size at the, at the, at the wing and, and rebounding. 
and the ability to defend guys like Luka Doncic, you've got to have more there at the big forward spot. That would be the one place. I know Chris Paul's getting older, but Big Jones already showed he's he got Ricky Rubio two years ago, Chris Paul after that. He can get veteran point guards to run the show. He's not going to use a rookie to do that. Um, if he does get a young player or any veteran improvement this summer, it's probably going to be at the big forward spot. Okay. You know what? Definitely. So, last question before I let you go. Speaking of being contenders and, you know, having to be in win-now mode, is the Phoenix Suns championship window still open or closed? Um, as long as the Suns come back, let's assume the Suns come back with the same team as a year ago, meaning they don't let DeAndre Ayton leave in free agency. Uh, they come back with the same team. They will be contenders again. Just as much as the Nuggets and the Clippers and the Warriors and all that doesn't mean the Suns will be favored to win the championship, but they will be contenders again with the same team. What happens this summer will decide if they're going to be favored or if they're going to be also ran by, by falling backwards based on who, who changes what over the summer and makes their team better. But right now, as it stands, with the roster they have, the Suns will be contenders if they run it back. The question is, is it an uphill climb to win a championship from contender, or will they be at the top of the mountain to start is, is going to be the open question. Good answer, David. Um, that's all I have for you for this segment. Thank you for joining me. Guys, this was Dave King from Sports Illustrated, Phoenix Suns beat reporter. Please give this man a follow at Dave King NBA on Twitter. You won't regret it. The keep up, you know, the keep up with the Phoenix Suns as they continue their process of getting back to championship basketball this offseason. Dave, thank you for joining me. I have to let you go, unfortunately. Hope to speak and see you soon down the road. All right. Thank you for having me on, Tate. All right. Enjoy your day, sir. Thank you for joining. Thank you. All right, guys, that was Dave King from Sports Illustrated. If you didn't hear, that was part one of the Mike Bomb podcast with, you know, your host, May Shayla. I'll be back for the next segment where I'll be joined by Cody Duncan from, sorry, Cody Duncan from Fansided, where he will be coming, joining the show to speak more about the expectations for Pittsburgh Steelers offensive coordinator Matt Canada this year as he is now being given not one but two mobile quarterbacks to kick off the season. If you want to listen to that and more that this episode has to offer, please join me for the next segment with the of the Mike Bomb with your host me Shayla. See you next segment. I'm out. Welcome back to the Mike Bomb Podcast with your host, May Shayla, kicking it at you once again. I am now joined by special guest Cody Duncan, Steelers reporter, beat writer um, Cody Duncan from Fansighted. He writes for the Steel Curtain, and he's here to answer questions about pretty much about the Pittsburgh Steelers offense this upcoming season. So let's get started, Cody. Uh, this past draft, um, the Steelers took what many favored Kenny Pickett out of Pittsburgh, you know, quarterback Kenny Pickett out from the University of Pitt pretty much in their backyard with the number 20th overall pick in the draft. Can you give me your thoughts on that before we get started completely? Yeah, I mean, it came to a surprise to me. Uh, when I'm watching the draft, I really thought they were going to actually draft Malik Willis. Uh, Mainly because I thought Kenny Pickett was going to get drafted earlier in the or in the draft. I thought he was going to be a top 15 pick. Um, I didn't think the Steelers were going to draft uh, or excuse me trade up for him. And when he fell uh, to the 20th pick, uh, I I then realized that he had a good chance of getting drafted by the Steelers, and um, obviously he did. And I'm I'm actually excited for it because I paid a, I paid attention to his college career. Um, obviously, he's you know a University of Pitt guy. So, um, and last year he just played phenomenal, and um, I'm excited to see how he does um, in the Steelers uniform. 
Yeah, you know, I'm I'm pretty pumped too because this kid clearly has potential. Um he's stated that, you know, in his first intro video on the Steelers social media page that the first thing he mentioned, which what a lot of users like myself, you and many others wanna hear, is he can't wait to win a Super Bowl for the Steelers. So that's a good sign that this is a guy that clearly wants to win a city, a football team that has always been about winning, obviously hard-nosed football, things of that nature. So speaking of which, he is officially, as of this morning, been signed to a rookie deal finally by the Steelers. What are your thoughts on that? And can you, do you mind providing me and others listening with more detail on that? Yeah, so I don't have the full details on it, but I know that he did get he did sign his rookie deal. Um, but yeah, I mean it's obviously a good sign. They have obviously some veteran presence um, at the quarterback position um, with Mason Rudolph and Mitchell Trubisky. Um, they're gonna they're they're gonna round out the uh, the um, the depth chart, but uh, you know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes coming into uh, you know um, training camp. Obviously, I believe Mitchell Trubisky is going to be the um, at least the presumed starter um, for you know first training camp, and we'll see how they all play out um, during preseason. But I, like Mike Tomlin said, this is an open competition. So don't be surprised if if um, Kenny Pickett uh, outplays Mitchell Trubisky in, in uh, training camp, and you could potentially see him start on uh, the first game of the season. Now, I do think that's probably not going to be a possible. I mean, probably not going to happen, but it's definitely a possibility just from the words that Mike Tomlin said earlier this year once they drafted him. Uh, but yeah, he did. He did sign. Um, his 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 rookie contract this this morning, like you said, um, but it's it's one one thing um, it's one thing that they, they can they can cross off um, now and now he can focus on uh, you know playing ball. Yeah, you know obviously high expectations are coming in the Steel City from Kenny Pickett because the last time the Steelers drafted a quarterback in the first round was Ben Roethlisberger. We know what that led to. 18 years of pure greatness, you know, two Super Bowls out of three trips, 18 consistent seasons of non-losing records, 500 or better. With all of this being said, speaking of week one, in your opinion personally, who should be the Steelers starter for week one versus the Bengals? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a tough question just because we haven't seen we haven't seen Kenny Pickett um, you know in the in um, you know preseason or anything yet. But um, if I had to, like I said earlier, if I had to guess, I would say Mitchell Trubisky just because he, you know he has that veteran um, experience. He has brought a two terrible Chicago Bears uh, teams into the playoffs, so we can't forget that. Um, under uh, Coach Nagy's presence, and you know he's not—he's not really the the best. He wasn't really the best head coach in the NFL. So now you add, uh, you know, you add a a great coach like Mike Tomlin into the into Mitchell Trubisky's uh, corner. I could easily see him outperforming, um, you know, the rookie. Uh, in Pickett and uh, Mason Rudolph this preseason and at least get the start for the first couple of weeks. Yeah, definitely. Um, Mitchell Trubisky, obviously someone who many would say because of his experience in Chicago, didn't have what many would call a fair start, um, a fair, you know, a fair chance due to obviously the bad old line, the bad coaching, just the bad culture in Chicago overall. But, you know, that led to my next question of who has the best shot of being the successor for the post-Roethlisberger era. Because obviously, we're not going to lie here. Those are going to be some real big shoes to fill, literally. Yeah, no question. Um, 
That's obviously in my my eyes. It's Kenny Pickett because you don't draft a you don't draft a quarterback in the first round unless you think he's going to be the the future of the organization. Remember, he was drafted in the tw- he was drafted twentieth overall. He was the fir- or he was he was the first quarterback the Steelers drafted in the first round since Ben Roethlisberger. Um, and like you said, with uh, Roethlisberger's pedigree of eighteen. Uh, amazing years with this organization, two Super Bowls, three Super Bowl appearances. Uh, you know, I see Kenny Pickett as I see Kenny Pickett as the future, definitely long term. It's actually uh, Mike Tomlin's first ever quarterback drafted in the first round uh, um, of his own his own draft. So he, they obviously look look um, look at Kenny Pickett as the future. Now, uh, I do have some details of his, uh, his contract. He did sign the standard four-year deal, rookie deal, and he has um, – the Steelers will decide if he has the fifth-year option in 2026, just to clear that up. Okay. Wow, great. Thank you. That's highly appreciative because Adam Schefter um, and Tom, you know, from – NFL Network didn't really bring out as much detail on his deal as they should when they broke the news out. I believe it was 8 a.m. this morning, a little earlier than that. But, you know, go, speaking of quarterbacks, you know, Mason Rudolph obviously is somebody who many would argue didn't have the fair chance um, in Pittsburgh, but some will argue that he did because it's not an opportunity that he didn't have that Landry Jones that he had that Landry Jones didn't have Ben didn't have when Tommy Maddox went down and you know any quarterbacks in the pro- in between that and some will say that Mason Rudolph was possibly the worst Steelers backup quarterback in history within these past 18 to 20 seasons all of this being said, do you think that these Yinzers are too harsh on Mason Rudolph? Or do you think they have fair judgment? Well, I guess it really depends on um, if you're thinking that Mason Rudolph is a starting caliber quarterback or if he's just a, you know, a backup quarterback. If you consider him just a backup quarterback, I think he I think uh, Yinzers are and Pittsburgh Steelers fans everywhere are a little harsh on him because you look at his stats, he had, you know, he had 16 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, um, with 200, or, excuse me, 2,366 yards with a 61.5 completion percentage, um, and his passer rating is an 81, um, 81 overall. With, uh, and it, so, you know, he, he was a third-round pick in 2018. You know, he... he he hasn't had any terrible, uh, in, in my opinion, as a backup. He hasn't had any terrible, um, you know, terrible games for a, if you consider him a backup quarterback. Besides maybe the Cleveland Browns game with, uh, you know, uh, the, or the the Miles Garrett fiasco. We we won't get into that. That game was very bad. But other than that, he helped the team. Um, you know, with an eight and eight record, he was five and three that year that uh, Ben Roethlisberger went down with that elbow injury, and yeah. then he didn't really get any opportunity after that. He had maybe played one or two games after that. So, you know, as a backup quarterback, I think people are are um, a little harsh on him. Now, if like I said, if if the the Steelers were were saying that he is the presumable starter for next year, then I would have I would have no um, issue with the Steelers fans, um, you know, being harsh and critical of him because I don't think he is a, a starting caliber quarterback, but he is a reliable second to third string quarterback in this league. Yeah, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I a hundred percent agree. Obviously, you said you know just piggybacking off a little of what you just told me and others um, that. He didn't have as many games after 2019 season because Ben came back off of elbow surgery, um, averaging 33 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, over 3,000 passing yards. The following year, you know, which was his final season, 22 for 10, you know, nearly 4,000 yards behind not one but two bad offensive line 
Speaking of which, it's time to switch this because there's somebody who else who I think deserve a lot of heat from last season, but some will give them a pass because of what many would call, I'm not saying this, but many would say immobile or washed bin. So with this being said, what are the expectations for Matt Canada this upcoming season now that he does not only have one mobile quarterback on his roster who many will be happy about, but two in the lights of Mitchell Trubisky, who they signed for a two-year deal, $18 million, I believe it was, via free agency, and then Kenny Pickett, who they just took 20th overall in this past NFL draft. What are the expectations for Matt Canada this season now that many will say he has no excuse? Yeah, he, he, you're 100% right. He has no excuse now. Um, last year, I was very critical on um, Matt Canada. I actually wrote a pretty, a pretty big article. Um, your, your followers are more than welcome to look it up, but I, basically the article states uh, in the title, New Year, Same Offense with Serious Problems. Yeah. And, you know, that's what it was. Um, you know, they, he, 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 was, he came in here for the, the, the reason because we wanted to see a more modern offense um, with a, you know, and you do, need a, you do need a mobile quarterback with the type of offense he is running. Definitely. So, it, 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 so now that you have Mitchell Trubisky and he is the definition of a mobile uh, quarterback and then you have Kenny Pickett, which is actually he's actually underrated when it comes to his mobility, in my opinion. Um, if you look back at last year's um, game against Wake Forest, when he had that fake slide touchdown, which was oh my. incredible, yes, beautiful play, uh, beautiful. Yeah, um, even though they now they made that uh, a rule in the NCAA that you can't do that anymore. They made it the Kenny Pickett rule. I find that hilarious. But um, <laughs> regardless, uh, it, you know. Like you said, he has no excuse. Um, you know, Pittsburgh was only averaging about 5.1 yards per play last or in, in 2020. Okay, mm -hmm. in 2021, it wasn't much better. I believe it was around six um, six yards per play. That's that's unacceptable. That's, it's unacceptable. Um, you know, Randy Feekner was was one of the worst um, offensive uh, offensive coordinators the Steelers had. And then you bring in Matt Cannon, and he basically does the same thing. It's not, you know, that's that's not what we uh, were were hoping for in the Steel City. So yeah. This is his year. This is, in my opinion, his last year to get to to show that he's capable of becoming a a, a viable offensive coordinator. Um, like you said, he has the weapons. You you know, you drafted uh, you drafted his. Um, uh, a new quarterback. I'm not sure if he's going to get the time, but you still have you, you signed Mitchell Trubisky. You have Chase Claypool. Um, you have Deontay Johnson. You now have George Pickens, which is might be the best wide receiver on the team. Yeah. And you drafted him in the second round this year, and then on top of that, you got Calvin Austin that you drafted this year as well. And he, so uh, his his comps are Tyree Kill. So I mean, if you look at a guy. I mean, if you if you add a guy um, on a team that is comps or Tyree Kill, then you know that you have a uh, a dynamic offense. And then on top of that, you you rebuilt the offensive line. Um, the offensive line should look a lot better than last year. And then on top of that, you got uh, one of the best running backs in the league in Najee Harris. So, no excuse for Matt Canada this year. Have have to. Um, can't be one you can't be one of the worst offenses this year there's just no excuse oh yeah I definitely agree especially you know you like the tight end core that I think can be underrated heading into this year and the lights of Pat Fryer move and Zach Gentry as well who I'm starting to become real sold on speaking of which and speaking yeah, of and, uh, sorry sorry to interrupt you but they, they're also uh they drafted uh Cam Hayward's brother Connor Hayward and he's actually uh, these OTAs, he's been uh, uh, they've been having him at the tight end position. Apparently, he has been really, really good. Mm. Um, so that's another that's another uh, weapon that they've added. And uh, you never know where he could play. He could play fullback. He could play tight end. 
just another option for, for this offense. Yeah, because Canada's offense, honestly, it frustrated me last year. Because speaking of fullbacks, I haven't seen Derek Watt, who to me is arguably, if not indefinitely, the best fullback in football, and yet he has not been used in pretty much any of the plays last year. And that's what I think frustrated, you know, people like me who's used to seeing the Steelers football being ground and pound football. Speaking of, you know, the Steelers last year and the play calling and all of that, um, before, you know, you stated about Connor Hayward, which is honestly a great thing. Thank you for cutting me off and speaking about that because I haven't heard much about him. So you are the first one to bring out great news and bring us great signs on Connor Hayward being a part of the team. So thank you for that. All of this being said, speaking of Roethlisberger, speaking of the play call in the Steelers offense last year, is it safe to say that Ben received too much heat or too much blame for the downfall of that offense last year. Was it Ben's arm that affected the offense or was it Canada's play calling? Because people say that Ben, you know, couldn't push the ball down the field. Um, and he couldn't do it consistently. But if you watch games against the Vikings, the Chargers, you watch them against, you know, the Ravens a couple of times. You watched it against the Bears. We obviously seen the band that, you know, we were asked, well, where was all of this the entire time? So was it more Big Ben or was it more Matt Canada's play calling and the O-line? You know, to be honest with you, I think it's a combination of both. I don't think Matt Canada trusted Ben Roethlisberger. Um, and I also don't think Ben Roethlisberger trusted Matt Canada. Definitely not. So when you have, so when you have two guys that probably, um, you know, are one of the two most important uh, people in, on, you know, regarding the offense, not trusting each other and not agreeing probably with, you know, the play calls, it's going to be a, a recipe for disaster. So when Ben, see, I, 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 I kind of blame it more on Matt Canada not trusting Ben Roethlisberger because when Ben took over the offense, when we when the Steelers were down big or they needed to have that no huddle offense that Ben Roethlisberger has just always been good at when he makes his own plays, that's when he stretched down he stretched the field, and that's when he made plays. Why why wasn't that happening throughout the whole game? Why exactly? Why did we wait? Why do we? Why did they wait till you know five minutes left in the fourth quarter to you know? to uh, make plays down the field instead of these this dip, uh, dink and dunk uh, offense that they played through the first three and a half quarters. Yeah. That, that was the biggest issue I had um, with the Steelers last year because, I think, yes, Ben had no mobility. If, he, if, if a guy got on him, he was getting, he was getting attacked or getting sacked. Mm -hmm. uh, but I still think his arm was, it was, was fine. Now, could he throw 60 yards down the field? Probably not. But he still had a laser arm, in my opinion. I, he showed it. Yeah. He showed it a lot last year, especially when they needed it. What? But the majority of the time, the majority of the time, they, you know, it was just this, you know, dink and dunk uh, slant passes or, you know, screen passes. And, and then on top of that, like you said, the offensive line didn't help, so he didn't have much time to get rid of the ball as well. But... Um, that's what the offensive coordinator is paid to do. He needs to adjust and, um, and make plays happen. And I, he obviously didn't with the, 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 uh, the, the quarterback he had and the offensive line he had and the, the, obviously the dynamic wide receivers they had. So like you said, we'll go back to what, what we said earlier where there is no excuse this year. Um, everything has been improved, the mobility, the offensive line, even the wide receiver position or positions, even though we lost Juju Smith-Schuster, I think adding George Pickens and Calvin Austin uh, has made that even more of a dangerous um, core of wide receivers. So, uh, to answer your question, I think it's more. It was more on uh, Matt Canada, though. Yeah, I agree. You know, a hundred ten percent. You. Thank you for saying that. You know, that actually made me and my takes about Ben feel better because I. I, I agree with you 100% because I think, like, people blame Ben for the wrong reasons. You know what I mean? Because 
I looked up a couple of plays in Matt Canada where they said, you know, because many fans is arguing that Matt Canada didn't attack down the football field because of Ben's arm or whatever, that he couldn't do it consistently. But you brought up some good moments, great moments that we saw. It. I brought up some great moments. So I'm saying if we could do this for 15, to, you know, 5 to 15 minutes left in the game, why couldn't we do it for 60? But moving on forward. This is, you know, before I let you go here, um, what would be the ceiling and the floor for him and the Pittsburgh Steelers offense this upcoming season? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're regarding Matt Canada? Yes, definitely. Matt Canada. Um, I think, you know, I think they could, they're, they're ceiling, I think they could be a top 10 offense, um, if, if he uses the quarterback right, if he if if okay, so you needed a mobile quarterback. Well, you got to use him. Let him go outside the pocket. Let him make plays. That's what Mitch Trubisky is good at. That is what Kenny Pickett is good at. Big time. Uh, they also can they also can make plays in in the pocket as well. But you need to change things up um, and uh, use all their uh, strengths um, during the game. So I think they could. Their ceiling is a top ten offense, but I could definitely see them being a, a bottom. Uh, their floor being a bottom five offense because of what we've seen the past two years. I mean, he hasn't proven it. Uh, Matt Canada has not proven anything um, to to any Steelers fan or reporter that he is capable of doing his job. Um, you know, to the standards that we like to see in Pittsburgh. So. You know, it's really, a, it's really, um, it's really up in the air. But like we said, he has the tools. He has the, he has the weapons on that offense now to, to prove, to prove it. So this is a, this is a, a prove it season for him. Yeah. So is it fair to say that this upcoming season, the 2022 NFL football season, is it fair to say that it is? improvement or bust for Matt Canada this year? Oh, yes. Yes, most definitely. You have to show improvement this year. If you don't show improvement, I, I think this will be his last year um, on the team uh, or as, as the offensive coordinator. This is definitely a, a, a bust or a boomer bust year for him. All right. Thank you so much, Cody. Uh, it was an honor to have you on the show. Thank you for taking your time. Yinsers, if you want more of this and more coverage on your fellow Yin on your fellow Pittsburgh Steelers, he also writes for the Pittsburgh Pirates as well on their, you know, their section called Rum Rudder. So you can definitely tune into that. Follow this dude, Cody Duncan, PGH, on Twitter for more coverage about your Steelers and your other fellow Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, Pittsburgh team, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Thank you, Cody, for joining me on this segment of the Mike Bomb Podcast with me, Shayla. Signing out. See you guys the next segment. Thank you, Cody. Thank you for having me. All right. Speak to you soon, my guy. Good luck this year. All right, guys, that was once again Cody Duncan from Fan Sighting. He writes for the Pittsburgh Steelers on the column called Steel Curtain. If you want, you can follow him on Twitter at Cody Duncan PGH on Twitter. Now it's time to move forward into the next segment where another Pittsburgh Steelers writer um, from Steel Curtain will be joining me to speak more about the expectations for their defense coming up this year, along with Brian Flores hiring and much more. So if you want to listen to that, I'll be joined by Tommy Jaggy from Fansighted, where he will be joining me to speak about the expectations for our fellow Steelers defense this year. Tune in. See you next segment. This is your host, May Shayla, with the Mike Bomb Podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to the third and final segment of the Mike Bomb Podcast. I am now joined by special guest Tommy Jaggy from Steel Curtain Fan Sighted. He is the Steelers writer. If you want, you could give him a follow on Twitter at Tommy Jaggy. He's here to discuss with us fellow Yeansers and other sports fans about the expectations and much more on the Pittsburgh Steelers defense this year. So, Tommy, you want to introduce yourself? All right, Shay, thanks for having me. 
I'm Tommy Jag. I run uh, Still Curtain for Fan Society. So it's nice to be on. Thanks. Thank you. Um, thanks for the introduction. All right. So there's things that I want to talk about. But first, I know I could not kick off talking about our fellow Pittsburgh Steelers defense without talking about, to me, the best safety in the game, who I'll call the Mika Penitentiary, star-free safety Mika Fitzpatrick, finally getting his contract extension. What are your thoughts on that as now he is the highest paid safety in football along with the highest paid safety ever in the NFL? That's right. It wasn't totally unexpected. Uh, based on Mika's resume so far, 25 years old, two first-team All-Pros, uh, we knew, I mean, based on the other contracts that were given out to safeties, there was never a doubt in my mind that Mika was going to be the top-paid safety in the league. Um, it was just a matter of when this contract was going to get done. I was a little bit surprised to see that Omar Khan was able to pull the trigger and get this thing done well before training camp uh, to avoid any sort of hold-in or anything that way. And so I'm pleased with the deal. Uh, there are, I mean, a little bit of controversy as to who was the best safety in the NFL last year and, and where did Mika finish. I know he had a little bit of a rough patch early on. Uh, he didn't have the interception numbers last year like he did in the, in the two years prior to that. However, he did still come up with some big pass deflections late in the game, forced fumbles. And so uh, he was certainly a, a critical part of Steelers' defense. And I was glad to see that deal get done. Yeah, me too, man. I was so, I was doing the cha-cha slide, you know, while on the floor because I was just too pumped. Like, my day was, I was having a mad day, you know, a mad, like an okay day, you know, another, a better day could happen, but it's not bad. Until I seen that, and next thing you know, I was jumping for joy. I was, I ain't smelled that hard since, you know, Halloween when I was getting candy as a kid. That's how I felt when Mika got that contract extension. You know, I was so happy. So, yeah, certainly a good feeling knowing that Mika and TJ are going to be there for the foreseeable future. Yeah, definitely. You know, that. I was big on Mika. He been in, you know, he was in the top three. Uh, you know, he ranked lower than to me in the top five. I've always had him in my top three, always had him number one. Ever since he been traded to the Steelers, to me, this was arguably behind TJ Watt, the best investment they have had on their defense within the past five to ten years. You know, we were crying for safety since the retirement of you know, pro football Hall of Famer to me, my all-time favorite athlete, the best safety of all time, Troy Palomalo. So, right. yeah, definitely. So, adding Minka to the secondary, has he made a splash, you know. It, I call it a more of a first, you know, love at first sight scene. Because since the answers, like I laid eyes on Minka, it's just been up from there. You know, the secondary's been up. Everybody, you know, he brought hope back to that secondary that clearly, you know, they've been missing since Troy's departure. All of this being said. Oh, yeah. His impact was undeniable for sure. I mean, right, right from the gate when the Steelers traded for him in 2019. And so he, he made the difference of several football games just in that season alone. And projecting forward, I mean, 25 years old. He turns 26 years old in October, I believe. He's got a really bright future ahead of him. I mean, currently, he's on a Hall of Fame pace. Two all-stars. Definitely. I uh, did a little bit of studying on what it takes to be a Hall of Famer. At most positions, the threshold that you need to have is four first-team all-pros. If you're an interior offensive lineman or uh, a punter, sometimes that's more than that. But uh, Minka's well on his way, and if he has a few more good seasons here, he could he could be on that T.J. Watt-level pace where you're, yeah. you're, on, you're bound to be a first-team all-pro someday. Well, yeah. First, team, uh, first Hall of Famer, excuse me. Yeah. Dude, wow. Uh, TJ Watt. I don't know how this guy, you know, he's saying that there's more to come of him, you know, that he's only going to be better. I think I speak for anyone. I don't know how you can get better than what he had this year. Obviously, being the only player in years to beat Aaron Donald out for Defensive Player of the Year. You know, that's a milestone alone. Then his record tie-in, 22 and a half sacks. TJ Watts has been very explosive since he touched the football field. Can this be the best year to come for both Mika Fitzpatrick 
and T.J. Watt heading into this year? That's a good question. If it is, I think the Steelers finished with the number one defense in the NFL. I mean, that's, I think that's the bar because they've already had top three, top six defenses in, in 2019 and 2020 when those guys were playing at a high level. And Watt is playing at an even higher level, although I would say last year uh, his efficiency in, in terms of some of his advanced numbers took a little bit of a step back, uh, but that I, I'm sure was related to his hip, knee, and groin injury that he suffered throughout the season and was kind of forced to play with. Yeah. Um, in terms of the statistical production, I mean, it was off the charts. And so uh, you love the mentality that these guys have. Like, it, Watt is not satisfied with tying the sack record. He wants more than that. He wants the Super Bowl. He said that this offseason. And so uh, those are the players that you want to pay for sure. And I wouldn't be surprised if Watt holds true to, to, to what he's hoping to do and does have indeed have a better season this year as well. I totally expect him to once again be a top three defensive player of the year candidate yeah you know tj watts my guy uh i actually ran into him one moment at a little after the ravens game try to get a picture on before the security guard you know ruined it for both of us <laughs> you know, yeah i would have posted it so obviously i feel i'm due you know a rematch for that but obviously going to a sealer game this year i'll definitely see see you know see tj watt hopefully get a picture on him this time but Speaking of, you know, additions to Steelers defense, because this year, Kevin, you know, before he left, he did pull a trigger that I would have never thought him and Mike Tomlin, I would have never thought was whatever came. Obviously, with all the controversy around him, they decided to say, you know what, forget this. We're trying to win. We're trying to get back to being the Pittsburgh Steelers we know and love, and we need to bring in someone who we know can hype these players up, you know, guide these players to the right direction, and has the attitude that they want to have and they're going to condone and listen to and bring on the football field. Leading up to that, they did hire Brian Flores, who was the former coach of the Miami Dolphins, who many people still question why he's not coaching in Miami no more. But obviously a big loss for the Dolphins, a huge gain for the Steelers. What are your thoughts on that hire when you found out, like the rest of us, that he was hired as the assistant defensive coach? What was your first thoughts on that? I love that decision. In fact, I wouldn't have been shocked if he would have been a candidate to uh, leapfrog Terrell Austin and then get the defensive coordinator job outright. I think he's that good. Mm. And I think that he proved it in Miami uh, during his tenure there. And uh, he certainly, certainly deserves a job on the coaching staff. He's not my worry this year. I worry more about, more about the linebacks and the development of, of a player like Devin Bush. However, having Flores there, I feel like that provides a lot more comfort uh, to fans knowing that uh, they've got a really good coach in place there. Yeah, I love the hire. I was shocked. I didn't think the Steelers, you know, I'm not going to lie. I didn't think Pittsburgh had it in them. Because obviously Brian Flores, you know, some were hyping him up at one point to possibly be one of the coaches to give Mike Tomlin a run for his money. And obviously he was off to a good start in Miami, you know, was bringing hope to the Dolphins, coaching them guys up. You had even Dolphin players questioning the firing. But obviously coming to the Steel City, being the assistant, you know, defensive, you know, defensive coach and all. Speaking of free agent signings and linebackers, because obviously you mentioned Devin Bush typically had a down year coming off of an ACL tear. They did go and possibly give you know, Devin Bush some competition or some help on that defensive line as they did cut you know Joe Schobert and let him walk to another team while bringing in Mouse Jack from the Jacksonville Jaguars. What is the impact that Mouse Jack can bring that can bring out the best in Devin Bush along with the rest of the Pittsburgh Steelers defense? All right, that one's a tricky one, and this is where I disagree with some fans here. I hope that Miles Jack can return to form that we saw several years ago because the Miles Jack that I saw in 2021 with Jacksonville Jaguars wasn't all that good. The, the tape wasn't very good. In fact, it, it, it reminded me a lot of Devin Bush in a lot of ways where it was both the run defense and the pass defense that was hurting. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the reason was for it. He, now, coming out of college when he was drafted in the second round, 
he did have a degenerative knee issue. And I think it was because of that issue that he wasn't the first round pick. And so we certainly didn't see his best play last year, although he was on a pretty terrible franchise. <laughs> so I think Miles Jack has turned things around. I, I think that uh, ha- Jack being a player who's had success in the past, I feel like he definitely has a lot to share with Devin Bush. They have a very similar play style um, in terms of their do-it-all ability. And so uh, I think that he can definitely help Bush out in that regard. Um, Alvarez, it's also worth noting, too, that both Jack and Devin Bush are players that have had the green dot removed from them on defense uh, to be that defensive play caller. And so it'll be interesting to see what Steelers do there. Um, and I'm really excited to see if Bush can take that next step forward this year. I think he really, really needs to, uh, whether he's going to be on the team or not, whether the Steelers make an effort to try to re-sign him uh, or not. I think that he needs to, for their sake, just this season, he needs to be much better than he was last year. And I think that Jack Slay needs to take a step forward as well. Yeah, you know, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, Dev, when you said that, you know, him and Devin Bush both got the green dots removed, then Mouse Jack, are you referring to Mouse Jack days in Jacksonville or so far this training camp? Yeah, yeah, in Jacksonville, sorry. Yeah. Okay. So he, he had had it at one point in Jacksonville, um, and then that, that was, I don't know if it was by his choice or the coaching staff's choice, I think it was a similar situation to Devin Bush where they kind of wanted to lighten his load. And, and so Jack no longer had the green dot where he was receiving the plays from the sidelines. Okay, cool. Thanks for the clarification there. So moving forward with, you know, free agent signings. Obviously, you know, I said I was on board of them bringing back Joe Hayden for the right price because of his age and, you know, his abilities, which – Honestly, we're still pretty good. Helped out the Steelers' defense here and there, especially against the Tennessee Titans, where he saved a huge first down from happening to, you know, for the Titans to possibly win the game. But they didn't bring back Joe Hayden. They thought, you know, it was time for them, time for him and them both to go a different direction. So they went, you know, into the lottery a little and got Levi Wallace from the Buffalo Bills. What is your thoughts on him, and how can he impact this defense this year? As obviously the cornerback room could need some help. Yeah, good question. I, I think that Levi Wallace is a solid addition. I've seen a lot of him over the years, and I, I honestly think that his best play came early on uh, when he when he first came into the league. Um, and since then, it's it's been just okay. He's not a guy that's going to take the ball over a lot. Uh, he's not an elite athlete by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I believe he, he ran uh, real, real close to a 4-6 coming out. And so uh, speed, speed receivers could be an issue for him down the field. Uh, I do think that he does fit Steelers defense really well. He's aggressive. He'll come up and make uh, tackles and run support. And so I, I think if you're looking for a guy who has some of those Joe Hayden qualities or Steelers cornerback qualities, Levi Wallace certainly fits that bill. And I do think that he could be an upgrade over the Hayden that we saw from last season, at least late in last season, where Hayden really struggled at times down the stretch, specifically against the Kansas City Chiefs, both in the regular season in the playoffs. Uh, Joe Hayden combined to allow a perfect passer rating against Patrick Mahomes. And so you hope to get a little bit more consistency out of Levi Wallace. I don't think it's fair to expect him to be uh, this Pro Bowl-level cornerback all of a sudden. I think you're looking at probably a, a low to mid-end cornerback, too, for the Steelers. Um, and I think that that's a position that they they should look into soon in the NFL draft to try to get a little bit more investment there. Yeah, I agree with that one. I think that they have been, in my opinion, extremely lazy with the investments they have made in their DB room in the NFL draft. They obviously don't have the best history of drafting cornerbacks to me, the best one they drafted in years was Ike Taylor, and he's been retired for nearly a decade now. But Levi Wallace, week one, is going to have his hands full with either Jamar Chase or T. Higgins or both. What are your thoughts on that matchup? That matchup is going to be hard no matter what, I think. I, I think the key to that matchup is just getting really quick pressure on Joe Burrow. And Burrow was already one of the most sacked quarterbacks in the NFL last year. Uh, his offensive line looks like it should be much improved this year, at least on paper. 
And so I, the Steelers, if they want to have any success in that game, they're going to have to be able to get pressure fast from the quarterback. They're going to be outmanned in terms of their cornerbacks trying to cover one of the most talented young receiving cores in the league. And so I think they're certainly going to have their hands full. Uh, you got to you got to offer some help over the top of Jamar Chase. Um, and I, I, I think if, if Wallace isn't noticeable that game, then he probably did a, a decent job. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. Um, it would to me, you know, if he can cover Jamar Chase or Joe, I mean, or T Higgins, that'll be great. Uh, that would actually give me a lot of hope in that secondary outside of the safety position, as we move forward to Terrell Edmonds because he just got resigned back to I believe it was a one or two year deal with the Steelers. What is it? What does this year mean for him? Is it make or break, or is it just you know doing then just go your separate ways afterwards? Yeah, I think it's a one-year deal for Edmonds, and I think that he's looking to uh, improve his stock a little bit, hit the market again next year, and see what happens. He held out for a little while there, and then eventually decided to come back to the Steelers on a pretty cheap deal, and so it's, it's certainly a team-friendly uh, deal for the Steelers. They get a starting level safety back. Nothing special, at least that, not that we've seen, but we have seen improvement. Uh, I think the Achilles heel for Edmonds since coming into the league has been his inability to consistently create splash plays and specifically to take the ball away. And so um, he did have two picks last year, I believe, uh, and uh, that's, that's just something that he, he may never have that part of his game. I think he, he improved in his Run support coming up, and, and uh, he didn't miss tackles at as high of a rate as he did early on. But uh, I think that is a position eventually the Steelers will look to upgrade. I, I kind of have a feeling, uh, based on how long he sat in the market and, and how long he chose to wait and not sign, and for the money that he got, I kind of don't think the Steelers view him as the long-term option next to Minka Fitzpatrick in the secondary. Yeah, uh, to, you know, tackling... Mm-hmm. Guys, it's also been a kind of issue for Terrell Edmonds. I'm hoping to see some improvement because that can possibly change the Steelers' mind, which is why I was actually shocked that they didn't trade up in this past draft and get Kyle Hamilton out of Notre Dame, who I think would have fixed that and would have solved a lot of questions, you know, in the safety position or would have possibly made Terrell upgrade his game more as he's expected to regardless this season. But... Speaking of Steelers defense, um, they did lose, you know, defensive tackle Stefan Tuitt this year due to retirement from the league. What are your thoughts on that? And what was your first reaction when you, you know, heard the breaking news? Yeah, I can't say that I'm surprised by it, but I'm, I'm certainly saddened to see him leave because Tuitt, I really believe, was one of the most underrated Steelers of this decade. I just I feel like everybody they go straight to talking about Cam Hayward. I think that Tuit was darn near on that level at, in, during the 2019 season before he tore his tech, and during the 2020 season when he actually statistically outproduced Hayward, and I think was comparably good. And so losing him last year, it, it, it's I mean his impact was easily felt, and, and you could you could see just the rush defense. It fell to 32nd in the league. Now they lost. Alulu as well, and that that's part of it. Uh, to it plays a lot more snaps. He is a very good run defender, and so I think missing him last season was very evident. They allowed five yards to carry, and were dead last in, in rushing yards allowed, and so uh, I think that impact is one that it's, we're still going to feel the tremors of going into this year, even with the additions. Now the Steelers went out and they recently signed Larry Ogunjobi. And that's going to be uh, a player who I think plays a lot of snaps for them. He's not a run defender. He's more of a, a, a knifing three technique who can get after the quarterback. Uh, so the combination of that, um, if a player like Isaiah Loudermilk can take a step forward this year and help fill the shoes a little bit there, um, they'll be getting a Lulu back this season. And so I feel like a combination of things can help kind of mask that loss. But you can't replace a player like Stewart who can win with – strength and athleticism and, and get after the quarterback and stop the run and do everything that he does. 
Yeah, I agree. You know, you just need someone to fill in holes that won't be that noticeable as they were pretty bad in the run game last year, but that's expected to approve with the free agent signings along with Brian Flores is, you know, hiring who can, you know, basically shake up things a little. Speaking of, you know, all the free agent signings, the Brian Flores hiring, you know, the Mika Fitzpatrick extension and things of that nature before I let you go. Um, I just got one more final question. What are the overall expectations for the Pittsburgh Steelers defense this season as it's been nothing but improvement and extending strongest, you know, the strongest links within their organization? Yeah, I think we can expect improvement on defense this year. Last year was a little bit of a letdown, and I think it had a lot to do with the injuries. Now, obviously, that's contingent on a player like T.J. Watt specifically staying healthy. If something were to happen to Watt or even Hayward, I think we could be back at square one. We can look at a, a, a situation similar to what we were in last year. Uh, but I do expect improvement from the Steelers' defense. From 2017 uh, to 2020, the Steelers had a top six defense in the NFL. On paper, I think they're just as strong uh, as they were back then, with the exception of the losses to it. However, I think their depth is a little bit better. Um, and so I think that they'll certainly rise. Um, I, I just had to talk to, to my friend about this question just the other day and, and, and trying to predict where Steelers defense will rank this year. I think it'll be probably somewhere in the 6-9 range. I think that they're going to do pretty good and, and repair their reputation this year. Definitely. Um, thank you, Tommy, for joining me on this final segment of the Mike Bomb Podcast with your host, May Shayla. This has been Tommy Jaggy from Fansighted. If you want, you can follow him at Tommy Jaggy on Twitter, where he will be giving you more coverage on your fellow Pittsburgh Steelers. Thank you, Tommy, for following and for um, joining me on this segment. All right. Thanks, Shay, for having me. All right, speak to you soon, my guy. Good luck this year. Thanks. All right, you guys, that was Tommy Jaggy from Fansighted. Once again, you can follow him at Tommy Jaggy on Twitter and much in other social media platforms if you have any. But this has been your host, Michaela of the Mike Bomb Podcast, signing out. See you guys next episode. I'm out. <laughs> Welcome to the Mike Bomb Podcast, the podcast where the bombs get thrown. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode. This is your host, May Shayla, exiting out. But before I do, I would like to take the time to thank everyone who has subscribed, followed, and listened to the podcast, and for your overall support and love. If you are interested in getting more news and updates about the podcast, such as new episodes, new seasons, you can now subscribe and follow the podcast on your favorite platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Pandora Radio, Google Podcasts, and much more. Or you can visit www.themikebomb.com for news updates within your favorite sport leagues along with more news about the podcast. Thank you for your support and see you next episode. This is my knighthood, this is my pain, this is my life, yeah, this is what I was born to do, yeah, yeah, I was born to do, every new day, every new night, every new stage, every new fight, this is what I was born to do, yeah, I was born to do, yeah, fall to my knees every night and I pray, asking Lord let him hear, I got something to say, there's a fear out there, coming your way don't let it stop you from living for what you were made it's not a dream it's a destiny blessed is he when the whole world listens to this mess in me there's a message inside what you get from me a little life little love that's a recipe so when the world is crashing down and you feel the weight on your shoulders try to pick it up but you're steady stacking up boulders every day's a gift never miss it getting older blessing in the struggle know that you're just on the road to a life you were born to live so i wake up every day and just give it what i'm born to give everything in me and nothing less while this heart's still beating up inside my chest